0: Hello and welcome all to the, uh, well, we are inaugurating the second volume in Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy here on Thronderdome. And this, the, uh, well, I say we're opening up the, it's the the second episode of our second season. Of course, I hope everyone enjoyed our our extensive discussion with Megan last time about Thrawn fandom and his place in the wider sort of Star Warsiana at large. Uh, But now it's time to get down to brass tacks, right? It's time to get to back to the source. It's time to go all the way back to 1992 for Dark Force Rising, the exciting second chapter in the Thrawn Trilogy. I've already said that. Uh, <laughs> I am what
1: a shitty title.
0: <laughs> it's pretty bad. I think. I guess since uh, you know they, they overrode Tim last time, he was like, okay, but for the second one, I get to choose it. So, you know, here the sequel to the Warlord's Gambit, Dark Force Rising. Um, that was uh our Intrepid Co-Host. I'm am, I am your co-host, uh Dr. Daniel Doughty, and with me as always is Ronnie Gardaki, who just chimed in. Ronnie, how are you feeling tonight?
1: I'm feeling okay.
0: All right. Well that's exactly the kind of mindset we want to be in when we're uh when we're talking Thrawn, when we're talking Zahn and we're talking Thrawn. Um But uh, as is always the case, we uh, don't really have an introductory structure for our show yet, even here in the second season. So we'll always just uh, jump right into the uh, to our our first segment, the chapter recaps. So uh, I guess well, this
1: book doesn't really have an introductory uh, uh, infrastructure either because there's no recap at all. No, as to what happened in the previous book. Yeah,
0: it just dives right in. Pretty in media res, also. This, this
1: may as well be, like, episode... This might as well be, like, chapter 34 of, uh, <laughs> of the Heir of the Of uh, the Warlord's
0: Gambit. Yeah, so I guess just to... I know it's been a while uh, for all of our, our loyal listeners out there. Uh, so, just kind of to, to recap where we left off with our incredible... Really uh, great American epic. Um, the uh, Admiral Thrawn had launched his uh, secret plan attack... On the Sluis Von shipyards in an attempt to steal a couple dozen New Republic uh, starships. Uh, this was foiled by Han and Luke and Lando in their various spacecrafts. Uh, with uh, a clever touch of uh, Lando using the uh, drilling mining command codes. To uh, force the mole miners, which have been used to cut through the hulls on these ships, to continue cutting in and through them. Kind of uh, destroying all the control mechanisms and leaving them all dead in the water and useless to Thrawn's purposes. Uh,
1: Also, let's not forget that a certain uh, rebellion leader, who's oddly colored and has tiny hands, was indicted.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's absolutely right. His orangeness... Admiral Akbar himself has been indicted by the Manhattan DA.
1: (laughs) Mango Mussolini himself. (laughs) The
0: Mango Mussolini. The, uh. Oh, God. Uh, but yes, um, so Admiral Akbar. This is gonna age really well. This is just gonna land like a just like a rock. It's gonna take me like a, a week to edit this and get it out, and no one's gonna care because he will have wriggled his way out of it. But speaking of wriggling his way out of things, Admiral Akbar is gonna have to wriggle his way out of being arrested on the order of the Bothan counselor Borsk Falia. That was his name, right, Borsk.
1: Uh failure at least. Or horse I, I don't know. first Yeah, he just
0: goes by failure. So we'll 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 go with that. But yes. So uh as for the lunchbox guys, uh Leia and Chewie are back on Coruscant after their sort of cul-de-sac storyline on Kashik. Uh and uh Han and C three PO are on their way back to Coruscant while Luke and Lando are kind of hanging out uh at louis Vaughn. So with all that. Oh, and of course, sorry, how can I forget? Talon card and Mara Jade, of course, uh with uh, Thrawn now being fully aware of all of the various tricks Card had been playing on him, Card knows that it's time to uh to pull the plug on Summer Camp and beat Cheeks to one of his other Heidi holes. So uh that's where that's where sorta
1: they left off. Oh yeah, and Joris Kabath is still uh Fucking off in Joe Mark.
0: <laughs> Joris Cabeath is, is doing. No, you know what? I said I wasn't going to use the Zons pronunciation. Joris Kabayoth is uh, hanging out wherever the hell he's been for the last half of that book uh, on Joe Mark. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to, we'll to Cabeath actually within within these first uh, few chapters. So we're doing the first three chapters of Dark Force Rising. So how do we?
1: And, and I just want to say with the first uh, the first line of the the first uh, chapter of the book, you already have something that really clanged in my estimation which is, the first line of the book is, directly ahead the star was a marble-sized yellow orange ball, its intensity moderated by its distance and by the viewport's automatic sunscreens now, I think when you call something marble-sized, you're supposed to assume that it's a ball
0: (laughs) that's a good point, I don't really think of like ah the the triangle was marble-sized yeah because
1: why else would you use the term marble?
0: Right, right. I, I, uh, I'm I, with you. That was. It was also kind of oddly passive. I don't know. I feel like the star was a marble star. Just name it. Just say, like, I don't know. I don't know.
1: It, and then after the first paragraph, there's, like, the last dawn that someone that forest would ever see, which is, like, really grim and out of place with the rest of the book. And also
0: a sentence fragment. That's not. A, yes. That's not a. That's that's not an actual complete sentence. I if really Betsy fell down on the job, I feel like Betsy was probably busy with her new baby
1: by the time
0: by the time she got this manuscript. And we're only on the first. It was paragraph. probably
1: fucking fucking wine o'clock with Betsy. <laughs> oh no, Betsy's a good mom. Betsy's a good mom. Yeah, and good moms drink, which is what I've been uh, socially conditioned to understand.
0: <laughs> so, leaving leaving aside Ronnie's. Uh, uh, Clockwork Orange style Social conditioning To accept mom drinking um, But yes, we're 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 here We're opening up with uh, with a Star Destroyer uh, So the typical zonian Respect for the source material And I would like to announce to you, Ronnie and, and all of our listeners that my spell check Now recognizes the word zonian So it doesn't flag it for spell check
1: <laughs> So Oh, that's just terrific Isn't that
0: great? I really feel great about all the choices I've made in my life Um but Paleon is uh, observing the planet Mirkur, which we know, of course, is the, uh, where Talancard had his outfit and the source of the Asalamiri furry salamanders who suppress the force. Um, as the dawn approaches and there's a, they're, they're monitoring to launch an operation against Taloncard's abandoned uh, summer camp compound. Um, Thrawn is a rather stonily silent watching the computer status readouts and it's making everyone nervous. Uh, Playon kind of slowly glances over because they're kind of, you know, waiting for him to give the word. They don't know why he's waiting. Um, and uh, Pleon thinks that maybe he wasn't noticed when he looked over there, but, but I mean, shrewd, typically shrewd Admiral Thrawn sees that and surmises that he's wonder you know, he's wondering why the attack's being delayed. So then Thrawn explains he's waiting for some spies to be in place in Hilliard City, our favorite location, Um, since he knows that Card has definitely fucked off by this point, but they might get some clue about where he fucked off if there's any, like, activity in Hilliard City once the attack begins. So, you know, they're keeping an ear to the ground there. Um... So they have this whole ground attack with a bunch of uh, ATATs and ATSTs converging on the compound, but it's kind of being treated more as a training exercise since they know that no one's really going to be there. But all this is about kind of like, you know, because Thrawn he's he's got a bunch of country bumpkins that he's scooped up, you know, in the outer rim that they're not really a, a trained fighting force. So this is kind of an opportunity to have a little training exercise. Um,
1: it's spring training for the Empire.
0: Exactly, it is. It is spring training. These are uh the, the roughest greenhorns you ever saw, but they buddy they got raw talent. Uh but uh Thrawn is interesting, he's he's pretty bullish about everything considering the uh the disastrous failure at, at the Sluis shipyards, as he says, uh quote, with Mount Tantis and our late Emperor's collection of Sparti cylinders in our hands, the initiative is ours once again. So, you know, he's he's not too fussed about having missed out on capturing forty new starships. Uh, the attack on the summer camp <clears throat> turns up about as expected. They don't find anyone there. Uh, all of the kind of sensitive material has been purged from the whatever computers are left there. But uh, they're still sending a message to Talon Card that he's not off the hook. So the uh, the, the ground forces begin systematically destroying the uh, the compound. But uh, then we uh, take a take a little step back and we're uh, switch over to Mara Jade uh as the point of view character here she's on the wild card with of course Talon card and the whole card crew i think aves and chin are both there as well um and they're hiding behind an asteroid to observe they should all have
1: card related names they really like they really should get, like the like the uh uh the like those uh, uh batman villains the uh the the club people that god i can't <laughs>
0: yeah if you're to, one, like I, you're the one who knows batman
1: stuff i, I got nothing but
0: that you're right they should all have
1: the like, royal the royal flush gang oh that's fun that's a fun name for a gang yeah so there should be like a there should like town card should be king mm-hmm. uh mara should be queen and then you got like you got like chin is like an eight <laughs> or,
0: or... Get, gent is like a a four yeah does, yeah. Uh
1: you got, you got a guy who's like, you know, how to play poker <laughs> instruction card.
0: <laughs> I think that's, uh, yeah, that's Aves is the how to play instruction card. That would be a little more thematic, um, but alas, uh, yeah, no, the talent card wasn't that creative,
1: um, but there, so much, of, so much of Thrawn's plan right now seems to be uh, based entirely on the idea that. Talon card is in fact watching them do this which it turns out he is yeah
0: it's it's another kind of Sherlock Holmes thing I think a little better supported it, it is it's one of those where when the the logic is laid out as Thrawn is explaining to Pelé on it sort of kind of makes sense um but uh yeah they're there so anyway I uh, card and and Mara have a little bit of a back and forth card is clearly finding it hard to say goodbye to Mirker, uh, but he's sticking around using the excuse that they want to uh, make sure that, you know, the Imperials don't find something that can point them toward their their backup base on Rishi. Uh, but Mara has started having a bad feeling. It's it's tickling the back of her head, and it's only getting worse. Uh, we cut back to Thrawn and Palaean. They are uh, receiving reports that the ground force came up with nothing. And this is the point where uh, Thrawn points out the little asteroid, apparently the only one nearby, uh, which he's concluded would be the only safe hiding spot to observe the Imperials, should anyone have decided yeah, this is to some, do so. some Looney Tune shit.
1: <laughs> right, there's exactly one hiding place. Uh, so Yeah, I, I like this passage because he's like, you forget, Captain, he said softly, that I've met the man. More important, I've seen the sort of artwork he collects. Yes. And then <laughs> then, you're, then you're thinking to yourself, okay, Zon, tell me what sort of artwork he collects. Yeah. Oh, you're you're not going to say what kind of artwork he yeah, collects? I'm trying
0: to remember, was there at any point, did like, were we introduced to any of Card's art? Didn't he have, like, some columns or something? I guess, but that's more like architecture. I, I don't know if, like, I don't know. Well,
1: architecture is also art that's, if you think about it. That's true,
0: it. and I do think about it uh, a lot.
1: Uh, you you know me. Love that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we definitely get we definitely get some foreshadowing with Mara Jade and uh the classic horror movie trope of uh the the dog monsters reacting to her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she's like and like I think we all know where this is going. She's going to have like some sort of force powers, right? Yeah,
0: I mean it's clearly like she's having her her force power awakening, her her force
1: puberty, I guess. Um but no, this is... And how better to establish that than to have dogs go crazy? Because dogs <laughs> can sense the force, I guess.
0: <laughs> they can when they're away from the uh, the salamiri, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so Thrawn has decided he's not going to do a tight sensor sweep on them because that would tip them off, and then they would they would you know scooch out of there before they could get to them. So instead, he's done something very clever in that the exact. <laughs> Sorry,
1: the forces of fre—the forces of frequency only dogs can hear.
0: <laughs> that would make as much sense as anything. sorry. I was,
1: sorry, I'll let you continue. No,
0: no, yeah. So, um, so Thrawn uh, very cleverly, when he uh, transmitted the orders for the ground attack to begin, he also transmitted some orders out into the fleet, the rest of the fleet, to send an interdictor cruiser to those coordinates of the uh, the asteroid to trap whoever. Was there, right? If you remember from uh, the last novel, an interdictor cruiser is something that was invented for the RPG, and we were supposed to know what it was. But it's a, a starship that can can pop in and generate a planetary mass gravity field, which prevents a starship from jumping into hyperspace. So they're going to have.
1: I don't know how much uh, post production you want to do, Daniel, but if you could like add in the Beavis and ButtHead laugh every time you say interdictor. <laughs> I think uh, the listeners would appreciate it.
0: Um, they might. Uh, I, I don't know if I respect the listeners enough to put that much work into it, but we'll see. I don't know. If someone sends me a nice email, maybe I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> but, so the idea here, of course, is that the trap is already set for whoever is be- behind that asteroid. If there is anyone there. Um, so, but yeah, Mara is getting skittish. Uh, Sturm and Drong are, are howling at the moon about, uh, about her feeling skittish. And after some really stupid back and forth with chin, which he's, I, he's, he's got like, the dogs on the leashes and he's like, no, he, he's like the old grizzled peasant. who's like, I, there go, there's vampires about he, you know, whatever with that kind of crap. Um, but, uh, Mara goes rogue. She's like, she's been white knuckling it and she just, Can't stand it anymore. She's tried to tell Card, we gotta fuck off, we gotta fuck off. And he's not, uh, you know, he's still not giving the order. So she takes matters into her own hands. Starts revving up the engines. That, of course, is easily sensed over at the Chimera. They can detect that signal and they're like, aha, there they are. Send out the TIE Fighters to close in on them. They're going to try to catch him before they pop out into light speed. Um, And as the TIE Fighters are launching, the Interdictor uh, arrives, pops out of light speed uh, so they're powering up the gravity well generators. It's a race against time to see if the wild card can uh, jump into hyperspace before they're trapped, and they do uh, c- because of Mara's hunch. Uh, so Card and Aves congratulate Mara on that, uh, but she gets really in her feelings about it. She she gets really upset. She's uh, she's 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 feeling. Uh, conflicted because it's reminding her of, I'm thinking she must've had, she, you know, she's had other kind of force sensitive moments in her life, but they, apparently they manifest as just like bad feelings and hearing voices, uh, which she hates. And so she, (laughs) so she's kind of, thinking about all the odd jobs she did before she landed with cards people and how she never wanted to go back to that again. Now she's second in command and the most powerful smuggler in the galaxy with the kind of resources and mobility she hadn't had since the death of the Emperor, the kind of resources that would let her find Luke Skywalker again and kill him. Maybe then the voices would stop. So she's got a bit of a silence of the lambs kind of thing.
1: I, I, mean, I mean, maybe. I mean, probably not. I mean, probably not. I, no. it, it, it just becomes more and more obvious, especially when you consider that you know, there had to have been a, a reason that the Emperor picked her and not just because uh she's a a, a buxom woman.
0: <laughs> not just because she's a, a that yeah. stimulates
1: his two hundred year old Dangus.
0: <laughs> right. She's got she's got other uh, other qualities. Much like all the
1: Playboy bunnies. Um I noticed that Zon uses frequently the uh metaphor a tangle of emotions. Hmm. Which I'm not sure what that means. I I'd be hard pressed to say. Also, I, I
0: think that's maybe his. I think that's maybe his go-to when he doesn't know what kind of feelings
1: he thinks the character has.
0: <laughs> it's kind of a fallback, <laughs> which is pretty effective. I think he
1: means like the really really tangled hair of a woman, and you like try to put your hand in in the hair and you can't get it out. Yeah, yeah,
0: because it's just it's so thick and lustrous and and uh, and golden red. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> I really wish that at this juncture uh, Talon had said something like Well boys it looks like we got A full house ahead of us Yeah
0: Or or something like uh, Alright we'll see what's coming down the river Huh? That's a Texas hold'em Or
1: uh thing. Yeah or uh, Or he just interjects randomly Blackjack <laughs>
0: Yeah every time <laughs> Every time a ship goes into hyperspace He says uh, Hit me <laughs> <laughs> and then pushes the button. Yeah.
1: <laughs> See that would be this is wasted opportunity. God damn it. Ugh Just everything and it's really It would make him stand out more other than being weirdly nostalgic about his uh Merkur base. He does love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um though we had we're we're back to the Chimera for a point of view. Paleon again is nervous about Thrawn's wrath. Uh since he he quarry slipped slipped his slipped his grasp again. Uh, but instead the Grand Admiral seems more intrigued than anything. He he recognizes that their engine power up happened before there could have been any possible tip off. Um uh, and uh it's it's when kinda of considering this that Palaya mentions that Thrawn has like, I guess another voicemail from Kabaoth. <laughs> um, which Thrawn seems to be like really has kinda of had it up to here with that guy.
1: Um is it- i think I think uh has had it up to here with uh, Joris caboff
0: <laughs> well we get a little bit more of him uh actually at the end of this at the we end do, of get, chapter. We do yeah. get a bit of him later and it's
1: really weird yeah yeah we'll, yeah yeah well we we'll will touch on that when we get yeah, there but but right now as you said uh he's really just treating it like a oh this fucking guy again right right. Just, Just filling my inbox with nonsense.
0: There's literally the line, I suppose there will be no shutting him up until he gets what he wants. (laughs) Which is, I think, uh, uncharacteristically exasperated of Admiral Thrawn, which I guess is kind of a nice touch. It shows that, you know, Kabeoth is more than a match for him, just
1: in, in the sense of being truly very annoying. Um, I just like how Poland goes, I have explained it to him, sir, numerous times. His reply is always that Skywalker is going to show up, and then he demands to know when you're going to get around to delivering Skywalker's sister to him.
0: <laughs> I just love that he keeps calling like, oh, where's Skywalker, dude? Come on. Oh, we got, we actually, uh, we have a, a, a little tidbit here, which I actually didn't notice until I was like looking at the, uh, my ebook right here. Uh, the, uh, so Thrawn is saying the next time Kabbath calls, you may inform him that the Tanab operation will be his last for the immediate future. Skywalker isn't likely to make it to Jomark for at least two more weeks. The little pot of political confusion we've stirred up in the Rebellion High Command should occupy him at least that long. So is that the first indication we have that uh, Failia is an actual agent of Imperial interests here?
1: I think we're supposed to assume that we're supposed to think at least like they're doing what the FBI does to like activist groups where they get somebody like accusing somebody else of being a a informant. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're going into Fed jacket, uh, everybody. And uh, yeah, there's that fun document from COINTELPRO, which is like a list of things to do to
1: derail meetings. And uh, <laughs> Which I'm sure Timothy Zahn consulted. <laughs> he,
0: he must have, yes. Well, you know, I mean, Timothy Zahn, he was, uh, you know, uh, he, he was, uh, maybe he was like Jim Cramer. Maybe he was in the Spartacus League back in college. Maybe he was like a weird trot or a college malist. So he got really upset about the uh, co Pro. pro.
1: Um, Playman has this, like, weird uh, weird uh, thing about the no-gree that uh, I'm not sure what to make of. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like... Uh, does that mean you'll be taking the Nogri off the job, sir? That's right, because he said, I'm going no to take a... No problem with that, Captain? He,
0: he, yeah, he says, uh, you may inform him, Kabayot, that from now on I'll be taking a personal
1: hand in that matter.
0: So he's like, yeah, he's taking the Nogri off the job.
1: Uh, and that the Nogri have never liked leaving a mission uncompleted. Yeah. I'm just imagining, like, they would have hated the war in Afghanistan. <laughs>
0: They really would have had a bad time. The the no Greek get uh, blue balls when they when they can't kidnap the person they were told to. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's yeah. Pelion says here. He says, "Do you have a problem with that, Captain?" He says, "No, sir. May I respectfully remind the Grand Admiral? Like, I, I don't know, man. Pelion, you're kind of I don't know. Been a little jumped up there. I'd watch it if I were you."
1: Uh, Where are the point Thrawn says he, they're loyal to me personally, and that just gave me the image of like. What if the Nogri just had like Thrawn faces for like masks, <laughs> like just crappy Thrawn Halloween masks? That would be pretty good. I, I do like that. Uh, in any case, uh,
0: so they kind of wrap up their 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 task at Mirker is completed, so they're gonna they're gonna move on, and then and then we actually do switch our point of view over to Joe Mark, and and specifically the High Castle of Joe Mark. Uh, Which is, you know, some sort of, um, you know, big stone uh, fortification or something built on top of a dormant volcano surrounded by a crater lake that Joris Beoth has has set himself up in while he's here on Jomark. Apparently he's already, like, dominating the natives, I guess, uh, or I don't know, controlling
1: the, with this, with this segment of the chapter, we basically get that Anthony Hopkins movie, the father, cause I was not expecting like a fairly harrowing depiction of Alzheimer's <laughs> in my fucking star Wars <laughs> novel.
0: Yeah, it's real. I guess we can, uh, we'll, we'll, read it and you'll, you'll see what we mean here. Um, uh, there was, uh, uh, But it was neither the scenery, nor the power, nor even the empire that held Kabeos' thoughts as he stood on the castle terrace and gazed down into the ring lake. It was, instead, the strange flicker he'd just felt in the force. He'd felt it before this flicker, or at least he thought he had. Threads to the past were always so hard to follow, so easily lost in the mists and the hurryings of the present. Even of his own past, he had only glimpses of memory, scenes as if from a history record." He rather thought he remembered someone trying to explain the reasons to him once, but the explanation was long gone in the darkness of the past. It is really sad. Like, like, what the fuck? (laughs) He's devoid of... And I wonder, like, I guess this is part of, like, being a clone. It must be, right? Like, he somehow, like, had improperly... Like, the memories were improperly transmitted to his brain or something. So he only, like, halfway accesses them. But I hadn't really considered that, like, yeah, that that ends up being like a a kind of like dementia or Alzheimer's status, which is really sad to think about. <laughs> you have this, this uh, extremely powerful. And we've been razzing on this.
1: And we've been razzing on this guy for like the entire series. <laughs> it Turns out he's severely neurologically impaired. Being this, yeah, just being this crazy old man, and now it's like now it's like give that man the best best actor Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is,
0: it is a strange touch, and I, I'm wondering if the uh, the flickers he's feeling is Mara's force awakening. I guess, uh, you know, but the, but if he can feel that all the way on Joe, Mark, it does make you wonder, like, what was it like when all the when there were a bunch of Jedi's all around the place? Could they all feel each other and where they were in the galaxy and pinging each other's flickers?
1: I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was like the the Jedi version of a hanky code or something. <laughs>
0: It could be. I was thinking maybe it would be like, I guess it would be like, you know, the difference between like standing in a, in a, in a big, like a dance hall with a bunch of people talking or whatever. Like there's a murmur, but you can't pick out any one voice versus well, when there's only three Jedis in the galaxy, you're going to feel it when one of them has an episode.
1: It's probably like Cerebro with the, the X-Men movies where you see like this whole, uh, th- this whole map of people. And then you see all these bright lights yeah. Uh signifying like mutants or in this case uh force sensitive peoples. Yeah. Uh but yeah, this is a really depressing way to, to end <laughs> chapter one. <laughs> yeah,
0: with it turns out George Kapayoth, the, the the wild and crazy wizard is actually just losing literally losing his mind. Um so that's fun to uh fun to consider. And then
1: it's and then it's, and then it's sort of like wow, Thrawn, you're you're basing your plan on a guy who literally can't remember anything.
0: Yeah, and yeah.
1: is and is like and is like running off the fumes of the of recognizing the force.
0: It does seem like it's not in keeping with Thrawn's kind of punctilious
1: method. <laughs> it seems like kind of yeah, it's a I, roll of dice. We don't do a whole lot of speculation on this podcast about what happens in the future of the book. Yeah, uh, but I I. Think that maybe we'll get a situation where, like Thrawn doesn't know that uh, Joris Capaath is out to launches to the extent that he is. Like he sort of assumes that he's, you know, not as crazy as and and demented as he actually is. Right, right, right. And that'll that'll fuck up his plans to some degree. Yeah,
0: Th- Thrawn is under the impression that he's crazy as a regular rat and not as crazy as a shithouse rat.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, with that, we move on to chapter two. With everyone's favorite, Wedge Antilles. That's right. We're checking up with the lunchbox guys and the, I guess the uh, the the Hemi lunchbox guys. When it comes to Wedge, he's not really a
1: lunchbox guy, but he hangs out with lunchbox guys. Um, he's like waves three to five of the uh, Star Wars action figures. <laughs> yes, he's
0: he's 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 in there with with Yak Face. Um, so uh nah,
1: he's he's way above He's yak above face. yak face. Okay, all
0: right. Yes, that's all right. All right, all right. We'll, we'll I mean, he has
1: that. a name for one thing. He's not yak face. That's a good point. Not, that's a very good point. I mean, I I, I give you credit if 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 uh, Wedge was named like, you know, white guy.
0: <laughs> he, he's just named British dude who hangs around. Um
1: But no, he has a first name and a last name. That's true.
0: That's true. His first name is a simple machine and his last name is a chain of islands. Pretty fun. Yes. Yeah. it's like uh, inclined plane Solomons there. I just made up a, a starfighter name, uh, a starfighter pilot name. <clears throat> but um, so anyway, so we're kind of checking up. He, he's talking with Luke. He's been wrangling with the, the, uh, the, the shipyards there at Sluis Von. They're all still there. Um, of course, it's a massive disaster zone after the battle. Wedge has been trying to get Luke's X-Wing kind of bumped up the uh, repair priorities, but uh, that's not been going well because, of course, it's just you know one guy's spaceship. Although it is, like, the one guy who's the most famous
1: guy in the galaxy, so... Yeah, but apparently because he has, like, retired from the military, uh, yeah, he doesn't he get doesn't priority have... anymore. Yeah. yeah, he... This... this this chapter really like slows things down like uh, like Zahn is really feeling like the the 300 some pages he gets in this uh, in this instance. <laughs> it's
0: it is a strange yeah it's like a well it's a side quest which I guess will will we'll explain what's happening here um Han and the Falcon are already on their way back to Coruscant to intervene in the Akbar flap uh, Lando is likewise kind of down the priority list for medical attention so he's still smarting from his blaster wound. He got down and hit. Yeah, my note city. here is
1: uh, my note here is Lando Calrissian Canadian healthcare question mark.
0: <laughs> Death panels worth considering. Um, but not only is he
1: Lando Calrissian died after <laughs> after waiting six months for an optional treatment. So,
0: just sitting there while the gangrene gets worse and worse on his blaster wound. Um, but not only is he smarting from being hit by a laser ray, he's also smarting because of his damn business, see, he'd been stockpiling hifridium, uh, in both kind of betting that prices would go up and also to make prices go up by keeping his stock off the market till he was ready to ready to sell. Uh, so it's looking like he's going to be out a couple hundred thousand. Uh, so he's not happy about that. Uh, but Luke has some good news. Uh, thanks to this <laughs> just so funny. Like. Thanks to the fact that all of the ships at the Sluis Von yards that were attempted to be hijacked by the Mole Miners were New Republic ships, it should be uh, a minor bureaucratic whatever to get the Mole Miners back. So they don't have to go through the Sluis Von people. So Lando is really happy about that. What a weird aside! Just you could definitely leave that out.
1: Uh, this is the writing of a man who knows he's guaranteed a third book. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> speaking of speaking of weird sides, there's this moment where Wedge like offers uh, Wedge like offers his uh, X-wing to Luke. Yeah. But Luke uh, Luke uh, doesn't take him up on it because he he uh, knows that if this transaction happens, that Wedge could be uh, court martialed for handing it over to a civilian, and <laughs> that would just piss off the Bothans even more. It's like right. It's like, when, it's like when your your friend tries to help you out, it's like, you know, uh, see, see, uh, see you're having trouble with your ex-girlfriend, uh, why don't we just, uh, burn her car up and, uh, you're like, <laughs> I, I appreciate your, your desire <laughs> to help, but I don't think you're, I, I think your priorities are misplaced. Yeah, I really don't think that's gonna, that's gonna help us out here, uh... Yeah, you just end up in prison and I still don't have an X-Wing. <laughs> so, uh, but this all takes
0: a, a left turn when Lando, out of nowhere, uh, uh, grabs Luke's arm, right? And he's like, hey, wait a minute, get over here. Uh, and he kind of takes a sniff. And he's like, where were you just now? Um, so he says, well, I was in the reception area, uh, one of the public comm desks. Uh, and so Lando was like, you smell... Like a very specific kind of tobacco. Excuse me, not not tobacco. Carababa tabac.
1: Um, although, really. See, that's how you make up words. You just uh, take off a few letters. Yeah, you just take off. Yeah, there you, you go. You sand off a few. And also, I. Th- you turn tobacco into tobacco. Well, I
0: think it's funny that they somehow managed to bring back chocolate from ancient Mesoamerica, but not tobacco.
1: Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Well, they don't want to they don't want to encourage kids to smoke.
0: That's Don't smoke tobacco. This is a guy remember, smoking Karababa Tabac. Remember
1: remember Death Sticks from uh from Attack of the Clones? Oh, yeah, I do. sleeps. Ilion Slee's. Albeit Bergano that is not in canon. Was
0: right. Death Sticks. Okay. But anyway, Lando recognizes that particular uh scent as a type of tobacco tabac Ugh. smoked by a notorious uh, starship thief named Niles Ferrier. So, uh, and this was a, another odd touch. Um, so, so Lando it's asks salad and scrambled eggs. <laughs> so, right. So, uh, Lando asks, uh, like, all right. Well, he's you know he sort of describes me as a human, big and built, sort of thick, dark hair, probably a beard, smoking a long, thin cigar. Did you see anything like that? And if it says here, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read the paragraph. Hang on. Luke closed his eyes reaching inward with the Force. Short-term memory enhancement was one of the Jedi skills he learned from Yoda. The pictures flowed swiftly backward in time. His walk to the medical wing, his conversation with Wedge, his hunt for a public comm desk, and there he was, exactly as Lando had described him. So, being a Jedi also gives you, like, eidetic memory that you can search through like you're, like, scanning through a video feed? Yes. Yeah, because it says, Luke replayed the memory forward again. The man wandered in and out of his field of vision for a minute, eventually disappearing entirely as Luke found the comm desk he'd been hunting for. Looks like he and a couple of others were headed for corridor six. Yeah, you're right. It is like you just get idetic memory that can replay like a fucking CCTV.
1: Luke wasted his time by chopping and screwing his memories <laughs> for his own amusement. <laughs> um.
0: So they, uh, they, they they get up and they punch up a, a station schematic to uh, get down to corridor six, right? So they're going to, because Lando's like, we got to check out what's going on here. Um, and th- this is, again, this is this weird side quest. They go, they confront Farrier, has a little gang with him, including like a weird alien that looks like, just like a shadow uh, that is a little odd. But Luke gets out the, uh, the lightsaber. He, he deflects a few blaster bolts they kind of recognize that, like, there's, there's not really, a, you know, they, they, they have nothing to do with blasters, so they begin to parley. And I thought this was funny that, uh, that Lando describes. He says here, "This is Lando Calrissian. Listen, if you want to keep your pal here in one piece, you'd better call him off." This is Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, the guy who took down Darth Vader.
1: <laughs> Which is a really there's another there's another great Lando line where he describes something as, "This is vintage farrier, all right." Yeah. So this is like one of his favorite tricks is to fizzle fiddle work orders to route everyone out of the area he wants to. Yeah. Yep. Vintage farrier. Vintage
0: farrier. Yeah. This is kind scum of the galaxy that Lando knows from previous kind of operations. Uh, but yeah, apparently he sliced into the network to give uh, work orders to the workers to just leave that area so he could steal some uh, some starships. Um, so they kind of shake him down, basically, <laughs> for, for a little information and those slicer access codes in exchange for turning a blind eye and having caught him red-handed, attempting to steal some new Republic ships, and also tipping him off that, like, hey, I know about there's this pirate operation on whatever that you can go, maybe you can get a few starships over there. Um, and then they use those, stolen sli- those slicer access codes that they got to plant false work orders for the... Repairing workers to then work on Luke's X-wing to get him out of there sooner. Um, and that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> it's a very odd aside.
1: I think what's really odd is that they establish a shadow man, and and I don't know what the point is. Yeah, they establish the shadow man, and it's treated like this.
0: Like I don't know. Maybe that's a Chekhov's gun that's going to go off later. But yeah, it's 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 set up a lot and then it just comes down to like okay, now
1: that we've had this It's like if it's like if they introduced Roger Rabbit in in a, in the in the book <laughs> and he just never showed up again. And I think it's really Okay, so barely cartoons exist.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's really funny that there's this whole episode is as far as I can tell from the standpoint of like what Zom was trying to get done was to make sure Luke's repairs got bumped up the priority chain. Like it solved that problem, <laughs>
1: which I guess, I guess,
0: which you also could have done, but just like saying like, Oh yeah. The Slewis Vaughn people were really happy that the death star blew up. So they're like, sure. Luke Skywalker, anything for you.
1: I mean, I think if nothing else, this is evidence that to be a sci-fi writer, to be a successful sci-fi writer, you have to be fixated on the weirdest fucking shit. <laughs>
0: And I think that's probably true as a as a as a devotee of the of the genre and especially it's kind of weirder uh aspects.
1: You've got to like you got to like think differently than most people. Yeah.
0: I think that's fair. You have to think differently than most people and you have to like the things that you think like okay, well I got to explain how this happened otherwise no one's going to believe it.
1: <laughs> it's going to be a little off. <laughs> Um, they're just built differently than the rest of us.
0: They are, and, and we thank them for their service. And I, I enjoy reading the corpus of literature that they've created for me. It's terrific. Uh,
1: yeah, they're the real heroes. They're the real of, heroes. Uh, Let's give it up for science
0: fiction writers. Uh,
1: you know. Yeah, you just fuck the fuck the troops. <laughs> the real troops are the are the science fiction writers. The real writers. troops
0: are the science fiction writers at, who go, who go to all all five hundred cons that they have every year in Tampa.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that... Right- okay, so, so, uh, so chapter one is about Thrawn and, and Card, and chapter two is about Luke and Lando. Yes. So that leaves us with chapter three being about Han and Leia. That's exactly right. right. Yes. Uh, and we have a beautiful,
0: I have, a, I have an extended quotation because we get a good deep dive into Han Solo's droidist bigotry right off the bat with oh, chapter yeah, that's, three. The, I, I put that in my notes too. <laughs> so I have, I have the whole quotation here. So we're, uh, the Millennium Falcon is kind of auguring in to land at the Imperial Palace uh, landing pads so that he's getting his clearance. He's cleared for pad eight. Uh, and and Le- Counselor Organis Solo will meet you at the pad. You know, so Han Solo is like, okay, he's easing the ship down. um, And sort of, you know, he's, he's in a bad mood. And, and part of that is because of, uh, Well, it's because of his company. Um, uh, Because his company on the whole trip has been C-3PO. And we get this wonderful paragraph here, and I'm just going to read it in its entirety. He'd never liked droids much. He'd used them occasionally, but never more than he'd absolutely had to. 3PO wasn't as bad as some of the others he'd known, but then he'd never spent six days alone in hyperspace with any of the others. He'd tried. He really had if for no other reason than that Leia rather liked 3PO and would have wanted them to get along. The first day out from Sluis Von, he'd let 3PO sit up front in the cockpit with him, enduring the droid's prissy voice and trying valiantly to hold something resembling a real conversation with him. The second day, he'd let 3PO do most of the talking and had spent a lot of his time working in the maintenance crawlways where there wasn't room for two. 3PO had accepted the limitation with typical mechanical cheerfulness and had chattered at him from outside the crawlway access hatches. By the afternoon of the third day, he had banned the droid from his presence entirely. And this is, I guess, played for laughs. <laughs> I don't... It just does seem really... Again, we have the Peace thrown in there. We get the prissy word. Like... It, we, we literally C3PO has been in the book for two pages and Zon has already called him
1: prissy uh it's i think if things continue the way they do we're going to like uh all in the family style uh we're going to have a situation where like Han's life is saved by a droid so he realizes hey you know <laughs> droids aren't all that different from you and me maybe droids aren't aren't sickos you know maybe they're all right uh, and and then uh, and then Sherman Helmsley will uh, will start in a spinoff called the Droidersons. <laughs> I think that's exactly what's going to happen.
0: Hey, you know what? Uh, get me Disney. We have uh, this, the, that's the that's going to be the new Disney Plus Star Wars series. Um, so they they land. Uh, Leia was right on the landing pad to greet
1: him. But no, no, no. We need to we need to talk this out a bit more because okay. uh, this this is a whole, this is a lot. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> This is barely concealed, like you know, Han doesn't like a certain kind of flamboyant uh, people.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty clearly like you know, it's not just anti droidism, is it?
1: Uh... <laughs> it's not. It, it's not that he has anything against them. Uh, it's just their. It's just the way they act. Yeah. He doesn't appreciate it. I mean,
0: he doesn't... Hey, you know, people are free to do what they want, you know, on their own time or whatever. He just doesn't want his daughter marrying one, you know?
1: Yeah, that's going to be... One of his, one of his kids is a, turns out to be a droid.
0: A droid. <laughs> They're born a droid. That's how it happens in Star Wars. No. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, once again, I'm left wondering what happened to C3PO's programming such that he is a protocol and diplomacy droid but cannot understand when someone doesn't want to talk
1: to him also i want to know the robots that he's met that are more annoying than C3PO
0: C3PO is one of the more annoying ro- now i'm not i'm no droidist i'm not calling anyone prissy But C3PO is a pretty annoying robot I- i'll give you that yeah i would i would be i would be curious too what other
1: kinds of uh encounters han solo has had with robots like i mean what's his does he have a problem with r2d2 r2d2 just like fucking beeps and boops that's pretty annoying like i don't know he saves the day most of the time he can fly he can do all that shit
0: he has his little dongle yeah you know that's hack into things yeah i feel like i'd be curious to see if part of han's arc in this trilogy is like coming to accept C-3PO. <laughs> so I think that would be pretty funny. I'm re- I'm realizing now that might be what's being set up here.
1: Yeah, are we going like, for an in the heat of the night moment where like C-3PO goes, they call me Mr. 3PO. I do believe, I think that's exactly what's going to
0: happen. Like, like you said, we don't like to predict what's going to happen in these novels because <laughs> Timothy Zahn will run circles around you. But uh, I I can't help but think perhaps we are
1: I I don't know it would be funnier if this is all like part of Hans' uh, character development or this is just some vestigial thing that goes absolutely nowhere
0: that <laughs> this is just this is just Timothy Zahn getting his hate for C three PO and and anything else that's prissy uh, just getting it out on the page excising it from his black heart because <laughs> look hey I'm gonna tell you right now. Uh, great writers don't have to be good people. Okay. Like just because you're, That's true. just because you're a brilliant artist, just because you're a Titan of human creative expression, the way Timothy on is that doesn't mean that you don't have some, some darkness to you. Um, so, you know,
1: j- I mean, H. P. Lovecraft had a lot of opinions about people that weren't exactly cool. He,
0: uh, he sure did. He sure did. And I, and I do think perhaps... I'm just imagining
1: Timothy Zahn naming his cat Prissy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs>
1: uh. but, but we're focusing on this because there's really not that much to this chapter because it's a lot of like political intrigue it's, that it's, doesn't go it's anywhere. A, it's a
0: Grand Council scene, which I, I think we've, we've been over on... Uh, earlier on the show that i really have so little patience for but we'll we'll go through like there's some you know there's some plot that gets done um there's
1: there's a bit of plot a dollop of plot there's a Uh,
0: a dollop of plot there just for flavor um i do like that uh leia greets han by saying thank the force you're back which is lame um but if we do have a line here that han notices the increasingly prominent bulge of her belly thank god timothy zahn remembered that leia is pregnant uh, because that has been iffy a lot of the time, and I thought this was really weird that so Chewie just gets a hey Chewie, like not even like a hug or anything, with, like some life mate. Oh,
1: he's guy. He's known the guy for so long. You, it's like kind of unspoken. I guess so.
0: You know? but like I feel really bad for Chewie because like he, like this is you know Han is his like you know his 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 best friend and life bond mate you know right now, but. His childhood friend died in his arms just a couple days ago.
1: That happens all the time on Kashak.
0: I guess it happens all the time in a Star War. You know, I mean, that's, you know, they don't call it Star Peace. So you got to accept your losses. Um, Leia fills... That's true, they don't call it Star Peace. They don't Peace. call it Star Peace. Uh, so Leia fills Han in on uh, Borskphalia's doings. Uh, apparently he's playing it cool after that initial arrest apparently <laughs> this is pretty funny apparently what got Akbar <laughs> nailed was that uh there was some bank malfeasance. and there was a huge chunk of cash deposited in his account the morning of the sluis von attack um so this plus the fact that Akbar had been the one to order the various new republic ships to go be refitted at sluis von all in one place um are the kind of the pillars of failures accusations and then leia and he paid off a porn star am i right Ah, people folks i'm saying that's right akbar with his tiny hands his tiny orange hands
1: his little doll hands
0: (laughs) his little doll hands and his oh and his fake hair over his bald head
1: oh (laughs) and then and then it's like you know uh bosk failure is like i told all y'all motherfuckers and (laughs) It gets increasingly aave and becomes really uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> Borskphalia has a podcast called uh, Mothma. She wrote, yeah, <laughs> about all of, tracking Admiral Akbar's uh, malfeasances. Um.
1: But actually, in this in this chapter, we learn a lot about the Mon Calamari people, which I found actually kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, it was a cool touch. We'll we'll, we'll get to that later when uh, there's a visit to to Akbar in his uh in his house arrest. Um but Leia is gives Han the bad news that you know they're they're walking off the uh the pad there and he's expected in council chambers right away to be debriefed because he's apparently the first guy to come back from Sluis Vaughn. So they got to talk to him right away. Um so we go and we have a council scene of uh you know Han comes into a room and he's sat down. He uh it it, it was a little odd Like he, he says His first thing is says like Hey you want me Sworn in or anything And then my Mothman's like No we just want To ask you What happened Please in your own words You know Or or, or whatever So he He gives him The rundown um, Of you know The events As he saw it He gives him the gist And he kind of Steals himself to defend their actions, you know, frying the control systems of 40 capital ships. And he tries to get ahead of it by apologizing before anyone has ever asked him about it, which I thought was a weird... That's just, that's not a very Han thing to do, to preemptively apologize. Uh, but uh, in any case... But really
1: the, the, the most important thing in this whole debriefing segment is that Han lets it slip that there's a Grand Admiral running the Empire right now. Yeah,
0: and everyone gasps. Which is a
1: which is a shock to <laughs> everyone because they're like, "Hey, we have we have a list here of twelve Grand Admirals, and they're all dead or whatever." Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Well, it, or in prison. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird touch that everyone gets kind of like, uh, like, "Oh, you know, oh my." uh... Uh, but he describes this Grand Admiral that he had, uh, you know, light blue skin, bluish black hair, and eyes that glowed red. And everyone's a little, you know, kind of not
1: quite buying it because the Emperor didn't like non-humans. So, you know, who's this guy? What's this guy? I do like the suggestion that he he might be part human because he says he wasn't human, at least not completely so it's like, maybe, you know, a chist fucked a human somewhere down the line.
0: <laughs> yeah, it might be like in Star Trek, where everyone can just kind of fertilize each other for some yeah. reason. I know they have, that, they have that Next Generation episode where like, it turns out that like life all across the galaxy was seeded by a progenitor race. But that still doesn't account... For, like, the four billion years of independent evolution that Cardassians and Klingons and humans would have had. I
1: also I also like the phrase, roughly human build. Yes. You know, it, it's got the build of a human. The, the classic human <laughs> classic build. Human, you know, like a human build. Very odd. Odd all around. Um, the the classic human build of uh, Danny DeVito. <laughs> the classic human build of Yao Ming.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> but so uh, uh, so they kind of they, they kind of cut off that this particular scene in a very weird way like the, the, the way it like goes is like okay my mom awesome wasn't asking a few questions and then she looked at Han then turned and nodded at Leia counselor again is Solo you may begin the questioning and and then the next line is Admiral Akbar's high domed salmon colored head bent slightly to the side, his huge round eyes swiveling in their sockets, and a Calamarian gesture Leia couldn't recall ever having seen before. So, like, I was reading this in my ebook edition. There's not really, any, there's just a paragraph break there. There's not any kind of, like, you know, asterisks or anything, like, indicating that we have changed scene or location. So I was really confused for a second until I realized that, like, Oh, like when they said, "Councilor Organisolo, you may begin the questioning." Was their fade out from the council scene, <laughs> which is an odd choice to go yeah, out on. There's,
1: there's something about that whole uh, uh, passage that you yeah. know, how, like they're they're changing all those role doll books to like be more culturally sensitive sure. for the 21st century. Yeah, i like, there's something about the way they describe like Admiral Akbar's features, and it's like. They'd probably like make the more culturally sensitive if they re-release this book.
0: Do you think high domed salmon-colored head?
1: This seems like oddly racist <laughs> against the mon calamari people.
0: Admiral Akbar's high domed mango Mussolini head bent slightly to the side. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it is a little. Well, you know, I mean, they're they're recalling the uh, you know the 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 features of calamarians. Um, so they, uh, this that is... That seafood freak, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're talking with, uh, Akbar. They just, apparently just filled him in on, on the fact that their Grand Admiral was there. So this was a Grand Admiral, Akbar said at last, his voice sounding even more gravelly than usual. An Imperial Grand Admiral, yes, that would indeed explain a great many things. What it, what is this? What is the magical... Aspect of a grand admiral that explains anything of what's going on.
1: I'm just imagining the the fucking uh, monorail class and grand equals <laughs> big. big admiral, admiral, admiral equals, equals admiral. admiral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just like there's. I I and speak, and speaking of which, I do like the the brief moment where <laughs> fail, failure assumes that uh, that the grand admiral uh, position is self imposed. Right, like it and was some it kind was, of like general. It was just some like, regular admiral or yeah. uh, leftover Moff trying to rally the remains of the Empire around him. Right. That that turned out not to be true, but I, I, I thought it was interesting to think of because like why wouldn't uh, like why wouldn't Thrawn just promote himself ahead of whatever? Right. Right.
0: If there's yeah, I mean, it really does. Like, it, I don't understand like what difference it would make either way right like is there one grand admiral who slipped through the cracks and he's still there or is it one guy from the the far off frontier like you know a frontier general who decided to declare himself you no know, it's like how it happened with the roman empire right like you would have like a guy who is leading the army against the goths
1: would declare himself emperor and then go fight a civil war you know i don't know it's just the the or it's like or it's like if somebody named themselves president of nazi germany it's like <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you can do that, but it doesn't really matter It doesn't
0: really do anything uh, Like Grand Admiral Dönitz After Hitler Yeah, exactly
1: Yeah, how about that? Yeah, there was that great Michelin Webb sketch Where uh, he he was informed That he was taking over for Hitler And, you know, he was all excited That he was going to be the, the new Führer And it's like, oh yeah, all, all we need you to do Is surrender to the Allies right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot left to do here, buddy
0: Ah, boy. Now, again, like, the the import that this title is given is very strange, because, like, Leia says, "...we don't actually know that it's a real Grand Admiral yet," Leia cautioned him. Mon Mothma's having research look into it. "...they won't find anything," Akbar said, shaking his head. "...a more human gesture that, of the sort he usually tried to use when dealing with humans." I had a thorough search made of the Imperial Records back when we first took Coruscant back from the Empire. There's nothing in there but a list that, of the that, Grand Admiral's
1: names that, and a little <laughs> about their assignments. <laughs> that classic human maneuver of shaking your head. Classic human move. Absolutely no other animal does that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's universal among humans. So, you know, that's how you know Albanian people aren't human. Because, uh, yes. because they use shaking their head to mean Yes. <laughs> That's how you can tell. Um, again, it's very... I don't know. So, like, apparently the the Grand Admirals were all part of Emperor's plan to consolidate power in his personal hands. Like the Death Star was. And and Ackbar says here, Until the Grand Admirals were fully integrated both militarily and politically, there was no reason to publish details of their identities and every reason to conceal them. Really? Is there every reason to conceal them if you're reorganizing the Imperial fleet? I don't
1: front page front page of the Space York Times just <laughs> list of the Grand Admirals Space York
0: Times I like that instead of New Space Times that's very good yeah um yeah I really I am really out to sea on this I can't get a handle on it on what ex- I don't know I don't know
1: but we do get we do get some uh, insight into the ethos of the Moncal yeah please expand I, expand I know on that, Ryan. I know you were asking about. Uh, The Mon Calamari ethos. I know I was when I got out of bed this morning. I was thinking (laughs) to myself, boy, I hope I read something about the Mon Calamari ethos. Yeah, I want to get a little background on Mon Cal's. But yeah, please, Ronnie, explain to the listeners what's... uh... So, they were never a warlike species at all until the Empire started enslaving them and ravaging their world. Okay, I didn't know they were being enslaved by the Empire, so that's new. Check Uh, those wonderful star cruisers of theirs were originally passenger liners, you know. That we helped them convert into warships. Maybe it's not so much anger at you for quitting as yeah, because there's this whole there's this whole thing about like uh, oh yeah,
0: Akbar hates Han because uh, he Akbar hates Han yeah
1: he hates anyone who quits the military basically even though he even though he hates going to war. Yeah, it's not so much anger at you for quitting as it is some sort of residual guilt in himself and his people for taking up warfare in the first place. And then Han reasonably uh, asked, even if they were forced into it? And Leia shrugged uncomfortably. I don't think anyone ever goes into a war without the nagging feeling that there might have been some other way, even when every other way has been tried and hasn't worked. I know I felt when I first joined the Rebellion, and believe me, people like Mon Mothra and ale organ had tried everything for an inherently peaceful race like the Mon Calamari the feeling must be even worse and then Tan just goes well maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just wish they'd work it through for themselves and leave the rest of us out of it I, I, I
0: uh, yeah it's a, it's an odd. I mean I will say I did like that kind of insight into the Mon Cal and like what they're doing there you know to begin with um that and I can kind of see that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like it. I like it too. It's
0: just odd. Yeah, it's especially like yeah the way the way Han the, the way that's packaged around explaining why Admiral Akbar thinks Han is selfish or something is is very strange. Um, but hey, that's that's how it is with the writer like Zahn. You know, like you have uh you'll have an interesting insight or little piece of the the setting, you know, done in a very awkward weird way, and that's part of his artistry and part of what makes this all so compelling.
1: Um, And this is really where the Star Wars uh, chronology really fucks them, because, yeah. like, this all takes place over, like, 20 years yeah, or so. And it's like, that's not really enough for, like, a completely peaceful race to force into war to, like, develop this sort of complex about themselves.
0: Yeah, and even then, like, I don't know if, like... So the Mon Calamari, like Admiral Ackbar as a character, is only introduced in Return of the Jedi. Like, I mean, it's even conceivable that the Mon Calamari weren't part of the Rebel Alliance until after the events of Empire Strikes
1: Back to begin with. But, you know, again, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, And I just found it interesting that the Mon Calamari were enslaved. And, like, for what? uh, Were they being eaten?
0: They were enslaved to be uh, servers in Steve Doors on the cruise ships.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I mean, it's just interesting to me, like when they, whenever they talk about slavery in the Empire, because yeah, we never actually see that in the movies, right?
0: And we never really, yeah, it's never really like they do talk about enslaving, well, enslaving Wookies, for instance, and like yeah,
1: we never see like uh, a bunch of Wookies like like a labor uh, gang like, or something. The, yeah, we don't see like a a chain gang of Wookies like building a, a a barn or something. Right, but, right. A space barn <laughs> as as we call them
0: yeah it's really uh it's really odd um but we 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 round out the chapter with uh with Leia uh you know Han kind of realized like hey you haven't told me why you and Chewie left Kashik and came back here so then Leia uh as it says here squeezed her thumb and forefinger together i guess that's her i'm nervous gesture Uh, but she'd, she, eventually she knew she would have to tell Han about the deal she'd made with the Nogri Commando, Kabarak. But walking down a public corridor of the Imperial Palace wasn't the place for that kind of discussion. I, Leia, you might, maybe you should find a quiet spot to fully explain this. I don't think kicking the can down the road is the way to go with your husband. (laughs) With the deal you made with the horrible needle-toothed monster. Uh... But it says, like, uh, it didn't seem any point in staying. She told him, there was another attack. (laughs) There what? Well, relax, we fought it off, she soothed him. And I've made arrangements that should keep me safe, at least for the next couple of weeks. I'll tell you about it later, when we're someplace more secure. Uh, She could feel his eyes boring into her. (laughs) That was... I I think that's actually an appropriate response from Han. I I was right there, but he kind of acquiesces, just like, okay... Well, all right, and uh, you know, Leia shivered, focusing on the sense of the twins she carried within her, so potentially strong in the Force, and yet so utterly helpless. And that's yeah, the, I mean, they're 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 fetuses, they're they're, fe- so. they're babies, yeah. But that's the end of the chapter. So, yeah, we've we've reintroduced all of our uh, kind of main characters and their and their various threads. Um, this felt awkward somehow and I don't I can't quite put my finger on it if like did we have Stockholm Syndrome while we were reading Heir to the Empire and like it felt more fluid as it went on but now that we've had a break from Zahn's prose it doesn't feel quite as fluid or it doesn't feel quite as put together I
1: don't know I think there were some good things in this in these uh in these chapters and some not so good things yeah. I mean I I think the problem is like he. He's not really doing the in, the introductory chapters of a new book. He's doing, like, the further chapters of a book he already started. Yeah. So there's very little exposition as to, like, who these characters are and what they've been doing. I mean, we get a little bit of that in Chapter 1, where uh, Pollyon remarks about uh, how Thrawn is... <laughs> he doesn't have a temper like... Uh, Darth Vader, and he, he's uh, you know, calm and and, and even keeled, right, right. Uh, but other than that, like it, it's like if you if you asked me what Luke had been up to in the previous book, based on these three chapters, I would be like, I I don't know what the fuck he was up to. <laughs> he, I guess he I guess he fucked up his X wing at some point. He
0: fucked up his X wing, and that's really all we know. Yeah, it is. It is a bit weird. Like, there's no like. At no point – I thought, for instance, it would have been interesting if, like, you know, Luke had had – if we had a little bit of, like, Luke's interior dialogue, like, thinking about Mara Jade. Did he feel the flicker in the Force when Mara had her thing? Or is that just a Kabeoth thing? Or is that – that might not be related at all. I don't know. But, like, it would have been, like, you know, because they had their little moment and Luke has, you know, googly eyes for her, clearly – like, I think that would have, you know, I would have tied it back to some of the characters. I, I, I anticipate we'll have to have something like that coming up. It does seem very odd not to have that lead off here. Now, oh, see, now I'm thinking, so do you remember in the in the, in the the notes uh, of Heir to the Empire, the 20th anniversary edition, where Betsy has that note talking about how Zon was originally going to end Heir to the Empire with the fight, in Hilliard City, instead of the attack on Sluis Vaughn. Yeah? Yes. Maybe these ring so strange as first chapters in the second novel because they were never intended to be the first chapters in the second novel.
1: That's always possible. Yeah.
0: I'm just kind of discovering this as I say it. I think that might explain a little bit of it. But I, I'm with you. Like, there's, I, I see a lot of potential in where this is going. Like, clearly they're setting up, you know, there's going to be a, a tense standoff and in, in a potential, like, kind of a real breaking point to be had with the nogri coming up. Uh they'll be, you know, they they're disappointed and disaffected haven't been taken off the task and they're going to learn all about Queen Darth Vader. So that that could be interesting coming up, but um and of course we'll uh, hopefully we'll get more of Kabeof uh uh sort of in you know the the the, the still Alice style <laughs> portrait of a of a an elderly Jedi falling apart. <laughs> so
1: all of a sudden, I miss my grandma. Uh-huh.
0: I'm thinking about all the, the people I've known in my life who started having a lot of neurological difficulties toward toward the end and how that was kind of part of how... And
1: they weren't even, they weren't even clones that wanted to harvest babies for the force. That's right.
0: It was just people who had started to go before they had their time to go. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, but I am looking forward to continuing. This was really... Um, I, I I'm, I'm glad to be back in the saddle. I'm glad to be talking about it with you, Ronnie. I, I, uh, it's, it's, it's been a minute, but I think, you know, I think we get back in the groove. I am a little disappointed. Of course. I, I did my searching. I could not find any evidence of the existence of a 20th anniversary annotated edition of dark force rising. I, I don't think they completed the author notes through the whole trilogy. Sadly. Um, uh, Damn it. Yeah, so we're really on our own, but that's okay because one we learned enough uh I think from the author notes that we have a really good idea of how the mind of Timothy Zahn works, how it ticks. And I'm going to say this right now, we're we're resurrecting the author on this show. None of this death of the author stuff. This book can only be interpreted through a personal understanding of Timothy Zahn's psychology. So that's what we'll be we'll be reaching for. Um but with that we'll close the Chapter recap segment of the show and get on to the main event. We're gonna get on to what people are really here for. Which is, of course, uh our Thronderdome tradition of uh having a segment on the show every episode, or rather rather every regular episode we'll say, maybe not some of the bonuses or special episodes, where uh your hosts, myself and Ronnie, will pit our gigantic throbbing brains against one another. In a titanic clash of perspicacity and intellectuality, uh, that we call into the Thronder Dome. That's right; it's our famous debate segment. Uh, and kicking off the first debate for this second season of Thronder Dome, featuring Dark Force Rising. Uh, Ronnie, what is our topic today?
1: It's uh, Spider Man versus Man Spider. All right. This is one where I feel I'm going to be out of my depth. Can I
0: take the Spider-Man position?
1: Yes, I'm feeling charitable. (laughs) Thank
0: thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I do think, though, to get some added context and kind of help order my thoughts, I'm going to let you have the first opening remarks.
1: Okay. So, Man-Spider is a character within the Spider-Man mythos of what happens when Spider-Man's spider DNA... His radioactive spider DNA becomes dominant over his human DNA. And I've shown Daniel a picture of what Man-Spider looks like. He's He's got a huge spider head. He's got uh, he's got eight arms. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's just ripping out of his costume. Yeah, he's wearing a costume and,
0: uh, for some reason.
1: Well, yeah, because he's, he's transformed into Man-Spider while he was being Spider-Man.
0: Oh, so this is Peter Parker transformed... Yes. Into the Man-Spider. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay.
1: It, it was most famously adapted in a uh, in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, uh, Neogenic Nightmare. Okay. Was the uh, storyline, uh, plotline name, because he was becoming more spider than man, and ultimately uh, he just had to take a bunch of uh, serums uh, to, to keep himself from becoming a monster, uh, perhaps a... Uh, a child's, uh, version of, uh, addressing the, uh, the AIDS crisis. <laughs> uh,
0: Potentially, possibly.
1: I, I, death of the author, so, it could be. Now, uh, my, my argument for, uh, for Man-Spider over Spider-Man, uh, is is pretty simple. Uh, Spider Man is a bitch, and Man Spider looks cool.
0: <laughs> Man Spider is a Chad. Uh, yes. Okay. So that's uh, so. So the battle lines are drawn. Um, the battle lines are thrawn. The, <laughs> the battle lines are zon here on Thronderdome. Okay. So Man Spider, Spider Man, two sides of the same coin. Since, of course, the man spider is a transformation of the spider man, but here's here's something here's something to consider. Um, for 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 thousands of years, the great philosophers have asked the question, "What is a man?" Uh, or, as they would say it in their in their uh, ancient language, uh, "Qua humanitas, qua anthropos." they would say to one another, stroking their beards in the, in the, uh, the bright Aegean sun there around the Mediterranean. Uh, and to this extent, I would, I would say perhaps a Spider-Man is a fuller being than a man-spider, the bestial man-spider, the, uh, the chaos dragon man-spider. I think what you have here really is the classic matchup, the, uh, the Jungian self versus the shadow self as so expertly discussed by dr jordan peterson an inspiration to the show uh (laughs) one of the reasons we got into podcasting um but rather so instead uh the 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 thing to grasp then is inside every man is a monster so really by saying that man spider is superior to spider man uh you could say that uh every man is his own man spider thank you
1: yeah, and the man spider is cooler <laughs> than the man. I think this I mean, is who would you rather? Who would you rather be, Mister Hyde or Doctor Jekyll? Easy. You want to be Mister Hyde he's <laughs> because he's cool he just... and he's got muscles and he's he doesn't give a fuck. Uh... Yeah, he's, he's out getting drunk. He's he's to ladies. Doctor Jekyll's just <laughs> just frittering about, like worrying about uh, about taking serums and shit. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's all worried about serums. Man spider doesn't give a shit about serums. You didn't give a fuck. It's true. Um, no, I, well, I'm, I'm reminded now. Of one of my uh, I'm not a huge Batman guy, but I did watch the Batman animated series in the 90s, and one of my favorite episodes of that one was the Man Bat. I thought that was pretty cool when Batman fought the Man Bat. And um, I, yeah,
1: that, that, was, that was a good episode. Yeah, and Man Bat's a pretty interesting character. Right, right.
0: I, I really I enjoyed that. Um, and I guess this seems like kind of similar, except that it's. You know, the Dr. Jekyll
1: Mr. Hyde thing. So uh ooh. It, it would be as if it would be if Batman became the Man Right, turned into as the man Bat Man Bat being a separate character. Right, 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 right.
0: Ronnie, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, I'm gonna do something unprecedented in Thronderdome history. Something unprecedented and I feel very sporting of me. I'm going to concede i spider-man is a bitch Spider- so, yeah. spider-man is a bitch also there's like i don't even know there's like five different spider-mans now is that what they're yeah, doing they went all woke with it they, <laughs> they went woke and have a bunch of them i don't know my my kid is is very impressed with spider-man stuff right now uh she i guess she picked that's, it up that's
1: that inspired this subject because uh <laughs> i actually got her a, a, a spider-man uh like a big plushy uh, Original Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh,
0: a Peter Parker Spider-Man little plushy guy, which was very sweet and very cute. And thank you so much, Ronnie. Uh, she really loved it. Her, her face just lit right up. Um, so I'm going to have to say, due to my dearth of Spider-Man knowledge, I can't reach too deep to counter your arguments. I really enjoyed the Man-Bat character on Batman the Animated Series. I don't have a leg to stand on. Uh, I'm, I'm tapping my gavel. Man-Spider, superior to Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, where's where's my man spider movie, Sony?
0: Yeah, into the man spider verse.
1: Yeah, just a bunch of man spiders hanging out like uh man ripping shit up. Man
0: spider hams.
1: Uh yeah. What woman man spider? Yeah, woman man spider. <laughs> that would be a good uh, one. <laughs> man spider noir. <laughs> right.
0: Puerto Rican the, man spider. The
1: possibilities are, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. I mean, Sony. If you want to get in touch with uh, us, you know, you know where to find our, our contact.
0: That's exactly right. In fact, I guess I should tell the listeners uh, if you want to reach out and uh, and get in contact with us, the uh, you can uh, you can email us at thronderdomepod at gmail.com. Uh, we are also on Twitter at uh, uh so you can get in touch uh, with us there uh, if you so choose. To let us know all the ways that we're great, and just what a wonderful service we're doing for everyone, how we're really respecting the legacy of George Lucas and Timothy Zahn, you know that kind of stuff. Feel free to drop us a line, and uh, and we'll we'll happily respond. Uh, but I think uh, I think with that, Ronnie, we can we can wrap it up for today. I feel really good. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Timothy Zahn has up his sleeve. I'm looking I'm looking forward to seeing what cards are up Timothy's on sleeve in Dark Force Rising.
1: Hmm? Uh, if if there's any indication he's got a couple jokers up in there. Uh,
0: I tell you what, uh I, 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 uh I um fuck, I can't think of a joke to make about Jax. There's not really a lot to say about Jax. That's true. I mean, you could go like the, cra- uh, the crass route of like jacking off or something, but I don't want to do that.
1: I don't want to lower the
0: timbre of the show. Uh,
1: Jack's the uh, the Mortal Kombat character.
0: Okay, that's a good. That's a good. Like uh, that's going. Ooh, how about Jack's the fast food franchise, uh, which is only located in Central Alabama, but they're really good.
1: See, you you could just make you could just be making that up, and I have no way of proving or disproving you. No,
0: they have a really great fried bologna biscuit on their breakfast menu.
1: Again, you could just be filling the listeners heads with lies
0: well uh, listeners is... if you, <laughs> if you are in uh the state of alabama uh please check out your local jacks
1: uh they're terrific uh and uh, you,
0: uh enjoy enjoy a Friday and, and
1: listeners if you're in, in alabama how are you listening to this podcast through a tin can
0: all right let's this is not the time to get into my internet connection problems <laughs> we're trying to wrap up the show Anyway, thank you so much. Yeah, for... let's
1: just say we had a bit of recording issues uh, prior to prior to the the podcast start because a certain someone didn't have internet in the twenty first century.
0: Uh, look, I'm I can't go I can't go into this right now. And also, you're you're ruining the movie magic by <laughs> letting people pass the curtain. So uh, before you can ruin any more secrets of how we make the sausage, oh, Jax also has a really good sausage biscuit. Before we can (laughs) let you ruin any more of that, it's time to to bid all the listeners adieu, and we will see you all next time for chapters four, five, and six of Dark Force Rising. Okay, good night.